developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Some groups at the beginning of this whole situation actually said, we are not going to target uh, hospitals and companies, healthcare companies during this time. That promise worked for about four hours. Welcome to Commando On Demand, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James. With the coronavirus and COVID-19 and everybody staying at home, Kim wanted to take a deeper look into some of the scams that are going on so you can have a better idea of how to protect yourself and your family. And so we're bringing in a cybersecurity expert, Itai Mower is the chief security officer at Insights, which is a company that helps enterprises defend against security threats. And prior to joining Insights, Itai developed an impressive track record of innovating at top cybersecurity companies like IBM. Uh, during his time with IBM, Itai led the creation and delivery of the IBM X-Force. Now, we've heard about them before. So Kim is going to talk to Itai about the dark web and the deep web and the internet that we know and some of the scary things that are going on there. By the way, this is not the nationally syndicated Kim Commando show on over 400 stations nationwide. That podcast is available that you can download and listen to on your schedule, plus much more benefits of being a Commando community member, like starting a blog or watching the show as we record it live on Friday. To get that, just go to GetKim.com. As a matter of fact, right now, you can get a 30-day free trial by using the promo code THANK YOU when you go to GetKim.com. Again, GetKim.com, promo code THANK YOU. All right, getting started in just a moment with Itai Mower on Commando On Demand Insider. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. So Google and Facebook, they've been trying to fight the spread of everything from coronavirus misinformation to hoaxes to scams. And, oh, my gosh, we have all those price gouging sellers on Amazon. And then there's the dark web. You have to listen to this. According to a report by Vice, an ad was posted on a dark web marketplace called OwnShop. The so-called seller behind the ad claims to have been infected by coronavirus. Now, this person is selling their saliva and their blood for a thousand bucks. Since it's supposedly able to make someone who has gotten the virus immune to the virus, the ad insinuates that it could be used to treat other patients. But here's the deal. It's a hoax. It's part of a massive surge in COVID-19 related scams on deep and dark web markets where criminals are exploiting public fear by offering products like test kits and temperature detectors and vaccines. You know, none of this is real. 
It's all just used to make money or trick people into turning over information. So there's this company, a global intelligence firm, Insights, and they say that the number of domains registered using the words corona or COVID jumped from less than, say, a few hundred last year to nearly 40,000 since March. And so joining us here on this special Commando On Demand podcast is Itai Muller, who is the Chief Security Officer for Insights. And Itai, thanks so much for being here with us. So how did you guys figure out this 40,000 number about the number of domains? Thank you for, so much for having me on the show. So, uh, yeah, what, what we do is we analyze uh, deep and dark web information, but we also look into uh, domain registration. Uh, we collect all the data, and then all I had to do was run a quick search and say, okay, show me the domains uh, with the words corona and COVID that have been registered. And as you mentioned, the numbers are, are exponentially larger than what they used to, from 190 total domains in 2019 to actually uh, March ended with over 70,000 domains. With the word corona. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. Yeah. 70,000? Yeah. Now, not all of them are bad domains. Some of them are used uh, uh, for legitimate things, but um, a deeper investigation already uh, uncovered multiple phishing domains, ones that claim that will tell you uh, if, if you have somebody who lives next to you with corona or others that, will, uh, that offer all kinds of services that are actually scams. So what is the most common scam that you're seeing right now? So we're seeing actually a variety of different scams. Uh, a lot of them, we have to keep in mind, use the corona uh, situation uh, just as a main means of delivery. At the end of the line, what they need and what they want is username and passwords into banks or financial institutions or where you work. That's how they make the real money, not from uh, corona-based uh, hoaxes. One of the more troubling ones that I've seen uh, are actually uh, ones that are for mobile devices. Uh, so they offer an app that will show you the corona spread on the mobile uh, on your mobile device, but it would actually what it does uh, once you install it, it steals private information. Oh my gosh! And so so many of us are going out and looking at these maps. I was at one this morning because finally in Arizona where I live, they're showing it down to the zip code of the number of infections. And so with this map, how exactly does that work? So you download the app, and then how does it get your financial information? Right. So it, it preys on the fears that people have. They want to know if, if there's anybody who is infected who lives close to them. When you download it, it looks like the John Hopkins map, the one that shows you the infection per area. Uh, but once it's installed on your device, it actually, while it's installing, it's asking you, hey, can I have access to your contacts, to Internet connections? The problem is we've gotten we've got so used to giving these applications uh, what they request, right? If I want to shoot these uh, red birds on these green pigs, the app asks me, "Hey, can <laughs> can I get your contacts? Can I go here? Can I go there?" And we're so used to just clicking yes, yes, yes that we do this with applications like this, and then they have access to private information, access that we gave them. So why why doesn't like Google Play take these apps down? So the, with Android devices, it's a little bit trickier because with iOS devices, Apple devices, they keep an iron grip on, on what you can put on their store. But with, um, with Android devices, you have a lot of these markets that are not, are not regulated. And so these apps can pop up in different areas, and it's not actually Google's uh, fault. It's just these markets that allow these, these apps to exist. 
So when we start looking at the number of domains with corona and COVID, are we seeing the same type of trend with, I would bet, stimulus checks? I, have, I haven't looked into that, but I already have a feeling that we're going to see stuff like this. Look, it's, it's tax season right now, which was, by the way, extended, right? Every year during tax season, we see, we see the tax-related hoaxes. There is almost no doubt in my mind that we're going to see the same thing with uh, stimulus uh, uh, checks. I think a lot of people are also getting a lot of papers, paperwork right now from the government, right? We had the taxes. And uh, I don't know, I got a couple of weeks ago the census uh, um, mail, and now we're going to get the stimulus. I think people are getting used to getting these, these papers in the mail right now. And so if criminals will try to do this, it's going to be a little yes. bit harder to tell what's, what's a hoax and what's not. Yeah, you have to be really careful because they are. They're not just going after our email and our phones and our apps. They're now putting letters in the postal mail, which are like, okay, I haven't really uh, seen that in a long, long time. You know, we kind of skipped over a topic that I'd like us to go back to because I saw a YouTube video where you did such a fabulous job explaining the difference between the dark web, the deep web. Can you run us through that right now? Sure. So um, when you look at the, at the Internet, uh, I look at it as three different layers. There's the clear web, the deep web, and the dark web. Uh, the clear web is anything that you can find on any search engine, anything that's indexed. You type it into Bing or Google, and you, you just see it. Uh, the deep web is anything that's behind a username and password. So, for example, uh, you can reach my, my, the bank that I work with, but you can't see my account because my account is behind a wall, which is a username and password, you can't pass that, and so it's in, in, in the deep web. Um, and then you have the dark web. The dark web is an area of the Internet that you actually need special software to connect to, and it allows you to remain anonymous. And there, the most popular dark web is Tor, the onion route. Uh, there it's mostly used for uh, illegal activities like uh, selling some of the hoaxes that you mentioned before, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. They go a little bit deeper and, you know, they sell phishing attacks, malware. They also uh, sell different weapons, and it gets just worse and worse the deeper you go in. I will mention yeah. one thing, one little thing. A lot of people are, 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 you know, they view the dark web as this mystic area. A lot of hoaxes, scams, and even collaboration between criminals happens on the open web, on the clear web, sometimes in the deep web, sometimes behind a username and password. They're not really shy at hiding these things. They're not, it's not that difficult to find uh, a username and passwords in these types of databases. Unfortunately, the criminal community is very collaborative. So when we start talking about what's available on the dark web, like you mentioned, and there's a whole bunch more fake currency, uh, kitty porn. I mean, you know, it's just definitely an area where you don't want to go. How much does, say, the average, if I wanted to start, say, a COVID or uh, you know, a pandemic type of scam, phishing scam, and I want to buy all the tools to make that happen on the dark web. How much does that cost? So here, here's the problem for, uh, for me as a researcher. The problem is if you would have asked me this question 20, question 20 years ago, I would tell you, well, good luck building all of that yourself. The problem today is that you have these underground vendors that will sell you each phase of the attack, each phase of the COVID scam. So, for example, let's say you wanted to run a phishing campaign because you heard phishing can be very profitable for you. Well, you need emails, you need a website, you need hosting, you need uh, somebody to help you cash out. Today, you can go into these markets and you can find vendors. You'll find people who say, hey, I'll sell you a phishing website. Oh, you want to target people, say, in Japan? 
I'll sell you one in Japanese because it doesn't make sense to just have one in English in Japan. Oh, you need an infrastructure. I have a hosting facility in the Ukraine. <laughs> I can sell you that wow. for usage. I'm completely, I'm completely serious. And so today, anybody with almost, not that I'm trying to encourage this in any way, but anybody with almost zero knowledge in how these things happen can go into these markets and just buy the different uh, elements and put them all together. If you can do it yourself, you save yourself some bucks. But, you know, phishing websites and phishing kits, they don't sell to in, uh, in, 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 even in the uh, hundreds of dollars. So overall, you put them together and you start blasting these emails out to victims. Even if only one, less than 1% of the people click on the link that you send them, you're going to be profitable in, in no time. Hey, don't forget, if you have a question about something digital for Kim, you can get her unbiased advice. And, of course, it's advice you can trust. Go to commando.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on a button called Be a Caller. And when you do, we're going to get a couple of details about your question. And then a producer will call and set you up with the time that you can talk to Kim about your question. Again, that's the Be a Caller button in the upper right-hand side of commander.com, and we'll have you as our guest on the radio program. More with Etai Mower in just moments, including more on the dark web and how does ransomware work and scareware and all the rest coming up on Commando On Demand Insider. So, so I buy all these components on the dark web to say do a phishing campaign or a ransomware campaign, whatever it may be. But let's say that I want that person, my victim, to pay me in Bitcoin, but that person doesn't know anything about Bitcoin. Could I actually buy a service that would walk somebody through paying me in Bitcoin? Well, yeah, a, a lot of the ransomware attacks that happen today, I, they understand that the people that they target and the entities that they target are not uh, familiar with Bitcoins or cryptocurrency. And they actually walk you through that. I even heard of cases where they said that you can email our support and we will walk you through the process. So get the, the person encrypted your computer and you can contact his support and they'll teach you how to buy Bitcoins to pay them back the money. And see, that's so fascinating to me because just this morning I got an email from a guy and uh, a listener of mine, and he was saying that he's 70 years old and they sent him, he got a phishing email and it said that, you know, he was looking at porn online and they have pictures of him through his webcam, you know, the whole thing. And he says to me, yeah, I did look at a little porn and I'm just wondering if this email is legit. And normally I don't answer all these emails because I can get like thousands of emails, right? But I wrote him back and his name was Robert. I'm like, Robert, it's a scam. You know, don't don't reply to it. It's just a phishing email. So how how much are how much would something like would is are there different levels where you could buy things? Like is it is it more expensive to get a ransomware kit versus a phishing kit? I'm just curious. Yeah, everything has a price. So what you mentioned is a basic kind of scareware kind of approach where you scare your victim into into paying its unknown type of scam. Um, it used to happen on mobile devices as well. Phishing kits uh, and malware have different prices de- de- depending on how targeted you want them. I mean, you don't even have to go and create the scams. You can buy the end product. There are people who will send sell you databases from phishing attacks. Uh, so they, they, they conducted the attack, but they don't want to commit the fraud. They will send you the database. And when you, uh, when, you, when you buy such a database, the prices go up the more 
as, as more specific as it gets. What do I mean by that? If I sell a database, if a criminal sells a database of, let's say, 100,000 username and passwords from all over the globe, that will go for X amount of money. But if, if they can say, hey, in this database, there's a 95 fresh rate, meaning the credentials are, are ready to be used, and they are all from Sweden, then you know people who want to target that region would really want that database. That will be much more than the pre previous amount. I want to mention another thing that you mentioned regarding your your listener that called it, that emailed you. The criminals don't have any shame, not, even not at a time like this. Some groups at the beginning of this whole situation actually said we are not going to target uh, hospitals and, and different uh, uh, pharmacy kind of companies, healthcare companies during this time. That promise worked for about four hours. Is that right? Yes. Because I remember, I remember I, I talked about that on the air. Like, you know, like, should we be happy that they came out and said, we're not going to target any medical institutions, any scientific research centers, or should we be like, I don't, I'm not sure what we should be thinking, but they said that they wouldn't be doing it for like two weeks from what I read. And now you're telling me it was just what, a couple of days or not even? Not even. I can tell you that they targeted, they actively targeted with ransomware a hospital in the Czech Republic that was doing COVID research. Not only that, they deployed one of the more nastiest type of attacks. They actually sent several, uh, there was a specific group that sent uh, um, healthcare workers a gift card with a USB and in, in, in regular mail. And it, they wrote a letter and it said, uh, we really appreciate your work and, and, and thank you for helping. Here's a gift card. Put the USB into your computer. It will tell you which, which stores you can go and buy you and use this gift card. That USB wow. was actually uh, a compromised USB that once you in, inserted it into your computer, deployed a piece of malware on that computer. So they're not really shy about, you know, utilizing this situation for financial gain. Yeah, there's a similar type of scam I'm sure you heard about because this is your expertise is with Best Buy that you get a USB That's uh, the one. thumb drive in, in the mail. Yes. And they say here you can go ahead and, and claim your prize. So is that what they were doing? They were using Best Buy? Yeah, they were. Well, they were claiming it for Best Buy. Yeah. But the whole idea there was to get the victim to just push the USB into or enter the USB into their computer. And then it's game over. These types of bad USB you can find different versions of it, like Robert Ducky, Melduino. I actually have a couple laying around just in front of me here. They're extremely easy to program and use. And, and once you enter them and put them into a computer, they just deploy the attack and that's it. So if you send me a USB drive, I'm not going to put it in my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Never take a USB from a stranger. So uh, let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to happen next? If you could predict, say in the next 30 days, where do you think the scams are really headed? So I'll tell you what the trend that I'm seeing. It started with hoaxes uh, like the blood and saliva type of things and then moved to phishing and malware. What we're seeing now is some bigger players entering the picture. Uh, we're seeing some state actors as well as some pretty well-known uh, uh, cybercrime rings uh, coming into the picture and using the COVID or Corona theme to launch their attacks. Their attacks are still similar, same targets. So different nation state groups are targeting other nation states, uh, but they're using this, this theme to infect people uh, uh, with malware, with phishing attacks, depending on, on what their uh, motivation is. Also seeing groups like uh, Fin7, which is a, a well-known uh, cybercrime uh, 
group targeting people using this theme. So everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and using this. In addition, I'm slightly worried about, you know, everybody's working from home, right? Uh, we, we discussed in, uh, in the security industry vulnerabilities in, in uh, collaboration tools and conferencing tools. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, uh, of that in the near future because if you, if you look at it, phishing and malware, they've always been here. They're here now. They'll always stay. What really changed now is the fact that the entirety of the workforce is working from home. That's the big difference. And when people work from home, they're not behind those guarded walls that the company gives them. That's right. They don't have an IT department. You know, I spoke to a CTO of Cox Communications not too long ago, and I was explaining to him that it's my thought that we have all these people that are suddenly working from home. They don't know anything about changing a password even. They don't know that the router password's available on the internet. They don't have a clue about two-factor authentication. Or they just say, well, you know, I installed it, it must work. They don't know that the Internet of Things doesn't really have an internet standard as far as security goes. So my point with him was that with all these devices that are suddenly online, it seems like we're really in a vulnerable position for a state-sponsored attack or some type of denial-of-service attack because we have all of these devices online. Are you seeing anything that's trending towards that? I'm not seeing anything right now, but there's no doubt that that's, that's going to happen. I mean, we've already seen examples of this in the past. The Mirai botnet that nearly took down the Internet, a couple, what was it, about two years ago? I can recall the exact date. That was based on people's home cameras that used default passwords. So they took over uh, 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 a lot of these cameras and used them for a denial of service attacks against the uh, uh, Internet infrastructure. And, and it's not only that people don't understand some of the tools that they work with have default passwords that anybody can Google the manual and find what, what they are. I'm also seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, not using the software that they were giving to protect themselves. Now, it's very easy for me as a security, you know, security advisor to say, don't do this, don't do that. But you know, we also have to keep in mind these people are now working from home. We also have to give them solution, solutions. And I hear people saying, you know, hey, that VPN that the company gave me, I'm not going to use it because every time I run it, everything goes a lot slower. So I'm not going to use it. <laughs> so we really have to teach yeah. them and train them and tell them, look, this is something to help you. This encrypts the data. You won't be so you won't be eavesdropped on. Yeah, don't don't work from your home computer and connect to the enterprise because you're now bringing in a, a new piece of hardware into our infrastructure, and we don't know if it has a piece of malware on it or how well protected it is. It's it's a big issue. Yeah, it's something that you know we've covered a lot on the show, and we've covered a lot on the website is to walk people through this. But it's almost sometimes I feel like parental controls. I, I normally don't hear from a parent to say, you know, how can I make sure that little Johnny's not in the porn sites or little Janie's not going where she shouldn't be going on the internet to learn about, uh, you know, binging or whatever it may be. I only hear from the parents until after the fact. Okay. When there's a problem, then I hear from the parents. So it's, I, sometimes I feel it's, that's the same way it is with end users. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the, one of the big issues is is we're not trained to think of security as, an, as a problem until it becomes one. Um, I'm really looking forward to the day when people, for example, buy cars and and ask the car the car salesperson, "Hey, show me the cybersecurity rating for this car. Don't just show me the crash rating. Show me cybersecurity rating because there's computers in here." 
people need to think the same way about their, their home and, and about cybersecurity in general. The problem is so far, we didn't have a lot of accountability. We didn't have any, anything that really bothered us yeah, because so my credit card gets stolen online. Big deal, right? I'm going to get the money back. But if somebody deploys a piece of malware on your you know, home smart device, uh, car, whatever it is, refrigerator, and you're personally inconvenienced, I think that's when people, when people uh, uh, will start taking care of these things. What you mentioned, by the way, is another issue that, that really bothers me, and that's the whole idea of, of privacy and parental controls and, and children, where we also have to strike a balance. It's always a, a balance, right, in security. It shouldn't be even called security. It's cyber risk. Do we want usability or do we want security? Which, which side of the pendulum or where in the middle do we want to be? Because I have young kids as well. But question is, do I really want to impose all these privacy restrictions? Do I, for example... I talk to, to um, I talk to schools here, and some parents say, "Okay, I want to know everything that my son or my daughter is doing online." Yeah. Yeah, but for example, would you really want them to see if they're if they're participating, for example, in in a gay forum? Is that how you want your to find out about your son, or would you rather have him him or her, you know, talk to you when they feel the time is comfortable? There's there's a lot of questions here, and these are not easy questions to answer. Well, a lot of parents will look at these parental controls and they think of it as a babysitter, that they don't need to do anything, which is totally the opposite of the spectrum. I mean, you should, <laughs> you know, you need to have just an honest, open communication with the kids. And I know it's hard. I mean, you know, I'm a mom. I know that. I mean, it's, you know, you know, my rule was, you know, I need to know the passcode to your phone. If I pay the bill, that's the way it is. When you want to do your own thing, then you get to pay all your own bills. But, you know, it's it's fascinating on what you've been talking about. I do want to make something clear. As we were talking about the deep and dark web, by no means are we saying like you should go out here and this is a new way to make money. But it's it's a knowledge base. And and that's the way I look at it. Knowledge is power. So now you know how easy it is for somebody to go on the deep and the darker web, rather, and and buy these phishing scams. So if you've ever wondered why you keep getting them and they just don't stop, it's because dumb people keep clicking. Now, you mentioned malware. Oh, you know, we know that it will record keystrokes and it will send everything back to whoever the sender is. What's the worst thing that you've seen that malware can do? Well, it goes to different sides of the spectrum as well. I've seen some very sophisticated malware, and I've seen some very simple ones do a lot of damage. You know, the ransomware type of malware, the ones that encrypt your computer, they're relatively not that sophisticated. They just encrypt everything and then ask for money. Very simple stuff. But, you know, there are companies like Maersk, the shipping company, that went through an overhaul of its system for the cost of $300 million dollars after that thing infected and completely obliterated their IT systems. And they did something extremely courageous, and they came out with it, and were, were very open and pretty amazing. On the other hand, to your question, I have seen malware that not, doesn't just record your keystrokes. It can actually open the camera. Those are kind of old stuff that I even used to play around with in the 90s. But others that will do will inject information. So, for example, they'll wait until the victim is online, say, in a bank account, and once, once the victim is on their bank account and trying, going to do a transaction, you'll see a screen saying, oh, sorry, due to security reasons, we have to check this transaction. While the victim is looking at that, the attacker takes over the system and performs a transaction of their choice. So they can be very, very sophisticated uh, and very advanced, but they don't have to be to make a lot of money. 
If you haven't already, you can keep up to the very latest tech news with our breaking tech news. We've also got security alerts, data breaches, and much more digital know-how with the Commando free newsletters. Get yours at commando.com. That's K-O-M-A-N-D-O. And on the top, just click on Get the Newsletters. It's a double opt-in, so we'll send you an email that you have to just click on, and you'll be up to date. And more of Kim's interview with Itai Maurer coming up, including Zoom. Of course, everybody is using Zoom now, but we've heard about its vulnerabilities. As a matter of fact, the FBI has come out and warned against using Zoom. So what's wrong with Zoom and what are the alternatives to Zoom coming up next on Commando On Demand Insider? This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So everybody's using Zoom video conferencing software. I saw a stat, just a staggering statistic that in December, uh, on the average day, they had 10 million meeting participants. Okay, so let's fast forward to March, uh, pandemic, everybody's working at home. Suddenly, everybody's starting to like say, oh, well, let's have a Zoom call in March, 200 million meeting participants every single day. And it's no great secret that the security, well... I don't know if there was any security on any of this because we came up with something called Zoom bombing. What have you seen going on with Zoom? So I've seen two interesting things. Number one is I went into our uh, into the Insights platform and I did a search for vulnerabilities on Zoom and WebEx and a couple of other conferencing systems. And what I asked our system is, show me how many discussions there have been in the dark web around vulnerabilities for these systems. And you see it on zero up until mid-December, and starting January, it just starts to skyrocket. So the criminals are discussing what vulnerabilities and exploits they can find for conferencing systems because they know everybody's using them. That's one thing. Another interesting thing is we found multiple vendors on the dark web, on the deep web as well, that are offering Zoom credentials. So username and password for Zoom accounts, not just for private accounts, but banks, healthcare facilities. Uh, I saw a drug manufacturer, a consultancy company. So they're offering the username and passwords of these companies for Zoom. So potentially you can initiate or listen in on one of those conferences. Wow, and, that's something. And what's even more interesting is one of them, I, I mentioned these, these criminals are very collaborative. So somebody asked the question how we can do this in, in a more advanced way. And one of the people who replied there, one of the criminals who replied, gave him a, a credential stuffing configuration file. So it's a software that takes credentials and tries them on Zoom to see if any one of them will, will work. So there's a lot of databases with different username and passwords out there. You can take, you can download this as an attacker put it into the system and it will try these username and passwords on Zoom because a lot of people reuse the same username and password. And so it will reply back to the attacker saying, hey, this account works, this account works. And it will allow them to automate their attacks on the login page. 
So knowing what you know, would you have a confidential call on Zoom? I would have a call on Zoom. I'm not sure I would do anything confidential. Definitely not stuff that requires any any secret information to be uh, um, transferred between the two parties. Now, what about Skype? What about Google Hangouts? So each one has, you know, uh, you can find all kinds of articles saying which one is owned by which company and then what type of information they collect from these different conversations. Um, I'd say that some of them offer a little bit more advanced security features. I mean, some of these conferencing tools don't offer a lot, or at least upon install, and when you install them, the default is not very restrictive. And, and, and I get it. I get it. Because if you put a very restrictive security policy into a conferencing system, you won't have a lot of clients. People will just say, okay, this is too much. I don't want to answer two-factor authentication, CAPTCHA, and answer a secret question every time I go in. They'll just move to something that's easier. So they have to find this balance again. Yeah, over on our website, we have we wrote a whole article. It's getting a, it's actually trending very highly on the website about how to turn off file sharing, screen sharing, you know. And luckily, that Zoom now has enacted the waiting room, which makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, when I looked into some of these, uh, some of the features, there's there's a feature there, but I don't think it's on by default that you can control the uh, a visitor's camera, so somebody else's camera, and when to turn it off. Uh, I think they, they took the, some of the things that happened, uh, you know, very seriously and are now they have some very well-known experts uh, aiding them with that. I just I just really hope that people at home understand that they need to look at this. This is our responsibility as well. When you install something, don't just, you know, click yes through it and just let it run. Take a minute, sit down, look at the security features, look at what you feel comfortable with. Make sure that you understand this because this can have an impact on you. And so I have a post-it note over my webcam on my iMac. Do you? Oh yeah, I have a I have a plastic uh, cover on my camera to make sure that it doesn't turn on if a, or if it does turn on, you can't see anything. And that's what a security risk expert knows and has. And so make sure that your webcam's covered. Ty, thank you so much for joining us. And if we want to read your blog, where do we go? So you can go to uh, insights, I-N-T-S-I-G-H-T-S dot com, and there's a blog there. Um, I'll be happy if you guys, anybody of the listeners, uh, read it. And thank you very much for having me here. It was great. You betcha. Hey, thanks for listening to Commando On Demand Insider. We appreciate it. If you found this helpful, we'd appreciate it if you'd also subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get these podcasts automatically to your device every week. And of course, if you think this information, there's a lot of good information on today's show. And if you think it would be helpful for somebody that you know, we would appreciate it if you'd share it. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time on Commando On Demand Insider. have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.